just because something's always been done doesn't make it right or ethical. Bullying I in later life, it was a source of energy to prove something or somebody wrong. Stop making ourselves look like fools just because we're women in business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Here in London, I've been interviewing guests this week, and so none other than a really old friend of mine and a great guest for the show, Lisa Johnson. She has created $15 million worth of revenue by teaching people how to make money online. Now, lots of us want to know how to do it. We sometimes try it, but we don't always get there. And Lisa's journey is a phenomenal one because she has given so much of her knowledge away to help people get where they need to go. She's funny. She's engaging. She's interesting. You're going to love her if you haven't already watched this episode that we did with her previously. But cue the music and really enjoy today the amazing Lisa Johnson. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. She's back. <laughs> it sounds like I'm in a film. I quite like it. Continue. The one and only Lisa Johnson shows her face again on the Spencer Lodge podcast. <laughs> only because you're in London and it was easy. <laughs> I love you and you and I have got a great relationship. So I'm really glad that you came back to talk to us today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Do you remember the first episode we did? Yeah, we'd met each other the day before. That's right. Oh, that's right. In the hotel. That's right. And then we, we got together and we started talking. And I was always fascinated by your journey. It, it made me kind of, I think, I was a little bit shocked. It's like, like, I didn't believe it was believable. It's like, what? You did what? You know, yeah. and then these people moved in with you. And you did this and they did that. <laughs> but then the, the part of the story that really kind of hit home with me was the bullying. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you and I are quite aligned on this because bullying for me is, is something that I've always, I've always had issues with, but for different reasons. And so, as you know, I was bullied at school. But that bullying I, in later life, it, 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 it was a source of energy to mm. prove something or somebody wrong, yeah? And then, obviously, Katie, who you know, my daughter, she was bullied. And it was like, do we pull her out of the school? You know, do we really need her to be in that environment? And, and then the, I'm so torn because I'm like, yeah, but does that make her a stronger person in the future? When we think about people that are bullied now, do you think that there is there is too much, you know, into how kids are treated? Or, is, or should we allow bullying to be part of what happens at school anyway? I think it depends on the level of bullying. I think that 
I'm with you. Like, bullying made me. Like, as an adult, it's made me. I wouldn't be where I am without that internal wanting to use the negativity to propel me to success by basically sticking two fingers up to anyone that said I couldn't. I think that there was a real driving force in using that negativity for good. But I've seen the other side of it. So I've seen people who aren't as strong as I am have their lives completely ruined and not become anything because of what people told them they were when they were younger. And, you know, one of the things I do now is I work with people who have been bullied as part of being an ambassador for Bullies Out. And I see the people that come to me who message me saying I've been bullied or my kid's been bullied at school. And these are 17, 18 year olds who want to die. And for that reason, I don't think we can even allow a bit of it. I do think a bit of it isn't massively harmful. You know, I think everyone to an extent at some point in their lives gets picked on or disagreed with or left out of something. I think that's almost normal because we all have different opinions and we all form different alliances. But I think if it goes too far, the damage is irreversible as an adult. And so that, I think, is the biggest problem that we have. Can I compare it to something else? Depression. Yeah. Some people are depressed. Mm -hmm. But are they really? They're kind of... A bit low. It's sad. They've had a bit of rejection. They're having a bad, sad moment or they're having a sad week. Are they really depressed? Dep what do you class as depressed? So let's talk clinical depression where you're told by a medical professional that you are depressed. So, you know, I've been in that situation. Um, but there is definitely a... There's definitely a more tendency to call things depression. I saw somebody write on social media the other day oh, I'm really depressed today. I wasn't able to get the McDonald's that I wanted before half past 10. And actually... <laughs> you know, Did they really write that, that? That's what they wrote. Because we use depressed to mean just slightly annoyed now. Um, but so many people came onto that thread and had a go at her for using, for saying that when there are actually people that are depressed. But who decides where the line is on depression? Who I is, do. Do you though? <laughs> do you? <laughs> we do right now. Well, okay, we do. I, I think it's a tricky one because you can feel depressed for years and never go to a doctor and be yeah. actually properly, clinically depressed, just never have it diagnosed. But it's the same with, oh God, this is going to be a subject that you go off on. I'll say it anyway. It's the same with business women who have ADHD. <laughs> I knew that this was going to cause a problem. Because there's more and more people now and some will say that it's because ADHD is now more recognised and whereas people were struggling before and didn't know what their reasons were for the struggles, now they can go and, and be diagnosed and actually it needs to be diagnosed more. Some will say it's not ADHD, that's being overused and actually what's happening is everybody has different neurodiverse tendencies in some way and do we need to put a label on it? Should we just, what do we do? Do, do we just let people live in that world? Yeah. If they're not our direct family. How yeah. does it harm us? Not if it's under, not our direct family. In the UAE where I live, no one is allowed to troll. If someone trolls somebody online in What's the UAE. What's classed as trolling? Writing something shitty about something. Anything bad? Yeah, anything negative. 
I can report it to the police and they'll get a £100,000 fine. Wow. Like that, don't you? I, I half like it. The problem with it is where's the line on trolling? So, for instance, I pulled someone up last year for saying something on social media that I thought was harmful. And so I pulled her up on it. And some people... Something to you? No. Or something to so somebody someone, else? I'll just tell you exactly what it was. So a person wrote a sales page and they were a coach and they said that they were going to help people with hypnotherapy and all sorts of other stuff to get thin because if you are thinner, you will always be more successful in your business. This irked me as someone that's a size 16 to 18 and makes multi-millions of pounds. So I pulled her up on it. I didn't mention her by name, but I talked about how I didn't think that this was the right I, thing I to agree do. with her, of course. <laughs> like, this manipulative marketing kills me. But I, although lots of people thanked me who were bigger sizes, who already felt that she was probably right, and so that made them feel even worse, I got called a troll for doing it for talking and and I was told by many people that I should never put another woman down online like that wasn't being sisterly so I had an opinion on something and then I was a troll so I think that there's a line to be drawn here on what trolling is okay so everything we've talked about so far we've got lines yeah everything where is Depression, the line? anxiety, what's the line? Trolling, what's the line? Where, where's the line here? Where's the line? I think the line, I think there is let's a talk, difference. Let's talk about another subject and see if you can tell me where the line is there. Oh, God. <laughs> Go on then. Online passive income coaches. Do you really want to go into them? <laughs> yeah. All right. So just because people might not have all heard the last episode so that you and I did. So if you haven't heard the last episode, go to episode, blah, 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 fill that number in. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the number of the episode, but there's another episode. Go to that and listen to that first. But Lisa, just tell everyone, okay, what you do, okay, and why you do it. I'm a business strategist and I help people um, start businesses that are online and bring out things like memberships, courses, ebooks, or anything that gives them some kind of semi-passive income so they're no longer trading time for money. Okay. And how many people have you worked with since you started doing that? Over 4,000. And when did you start doing that? 2018, 19. 2018? Yeah, five, five, five years ago. Five and a half years So in five years, you've taken 400 people a year on average, okay, and you've got, no, 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 more than that. Sorry. More than that. 4,000, sorry, around... 800 people a year on yeah, average. average. Eight, eight fives are 40, yeah. So 800 people a year on average and you've helped them take the, the, the online world, make it part of their world and create a passive income because of it, yeah? Yes. Okay. In a myriad of different industries. Loads of different industries. Some no industry. Okay. Yes. You're seen as the number one person in your industry at doing what you do. Is that fair? In the UK, I think it's fair. In the UK. And you primarily work with women? Yes, not by choice. Mm, okay. I just attract more women than men. So you, oh, so over the years you've always wanted to work with men as well? Yeah, and I do work with you a sure? lot of men. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't welcome. She were. <laughs> oh, you mean when the membership was women only yeah. in the first year? Well, there you yeah, go. you really wanted to get in then. <laughs> we're like, no, we just pretended that it was female only so you could join. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jeez, thanks. <laughs> so in this in this world of 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 of, of doing this online thing and helping these people get to where they've got. You were exposed to lots of other people in that space. Yeah, many, many. Okay. And people that were teaching people how to how to trade online, people teaching how to, how to do online lead generation online, how to people, <clears throat> I mean, let's go through it all. Build your social media following online. Um, who are the other ones out there? That, that, spiritual that, coaching. Oh, spiritual coaching. Okay, all that kind of stuff. And so you've met all of these, these coaches. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the industry? I think it's going to kill itself off because it's 99% manipulation, 1% real good advice. Okay, so the, 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 I was with a guy the other day that teaches people rent to rent. Mm-hmm. So you rent a property on a long-term rental and... Um, then you 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 then sublet that property out. And so he was teaching it. So I asked him, I'm going to leave his name out of it because I don't know him very well and I'd hate to say something I shouldn't. He charges £2,000 to teach people this. Okay. And this year he's taken on um, uh, 180 people so far this year that have paid £2,000. So he's made £360,000. He spent £100,000 on advertising to attract those people, so he's now at 260000 and I said, how many people have finished the course? He said, 7%. That's very low. And I went, okay. So what about all the people that haven't even started? What percentage haven't even started? He said, it's 56%. I'm like, okay, so you've got some people in the middle. Of those 56%, how many of you called up and said, when are you going to start the course? He was like, none. I said, how many have you given the money back to? He was like, why would I give them the money back? I'm like, well, they didn't do the course. But actually, that's not his problem. That's what he said. And I believe that that's true. That it's not his problem. Not that part. We're not people's parents. So, for instance, I have people that come on courses Mm -hmm. and they will get so far into the course and then they'll get stuck. And instead of asking for help, we provide millions of opportunities where they can come and ask for help because we want people to finish. Because if people don't finish our courses, they don't get results. I don't get referrals. I make less money. So it makes sense that I want people to get to the end of the course. So we put things in where they can. But you will have somebody halfway through go, oh, it's hard. It's a bit hard. It's harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was just going to pay the money and make money. It'll be done for me. Yeah, because that's what people think. And it doesn't matter how many times I say beforehand during the sales process, this isn't a get-rich-quick process. This is going to take you over a year to grow an audience. So don't be thinking you're going to make money this year. It doesn't matter. By week six, there will be some people that go, yeah, I'm not doing it. It's too hard. I'm not going to do it anymore. And they'll drop out. And we'll do what we can. So we will, you know, accountability threads and that kind of thing online. But at the end of the day, I'm not their mother and I'm not going to force them to do anything. I'm going to give them every opportunity to learn what I know. And they're in exactly the same situation as everybody else, including me, to be able to then implement what I teach them and get the results. If they don't, that's not my problem. Okay. So you have essentially created a sales pitch You've sold them a product, they've bought the product, they've decided not to use the product, that's on them. Yes. Now, there is a difference. Okay. Where I don't think it's right is in that bit that you just talked about, which is the before. 
You have sold them a product. This is where I see the problems online. Because if you've done everything you should do and you've not used fear of missing out tactics, manipulation tactics, urgency, or any of those kind of things, then you've done everything the right way and anything that happens after that is on them. But what we do see is people using all of those tactics and therefore people don't even know what they're buying, if it's right for them. (laughs) They're buying just because everybody else is buying or you're making them feel like everybody else is buying or you're using a manipulation tactic that's based in trauma. So people that have been through trauma, let's say you were bullied at school, are more likely to buy into something if they feel that it's going to make them belong. And so by using that knowledge, you can make people buy things they don't even need or want. That's where I think we've got a massive problem. Let's make some comparisons here then. So I have a friend of mine, okay, that works in online shopping. Sorry, not online shopping, television shopping. What's it called? QVC. QVC, (laughs) a drop bid, drop bid up, all that kind of stuff, yeah? And I've been to the studios to watch it take place, all right? Fascinating experience. So they're given essentially a bunch of products and they've got, I don't know, the one that I saw that made me laugh a lot, it was a plastic owl and it had an alarm clock in its belly. And I picked it up and I looked at it and I said, so what's this? She's like, I've got 4,000 of those to sell today. Now, bear in mind, there's TV viewers watching, okay? And this person is, is essentially selling to the camera. There's no interaction. So she's doing a pitch where she's essentially interacting with herself and she's got to sell these this piece of shit. Yeah. Which a lot of this shopping channels sell, yeah? Yeah. They will use every technique they know, okay? And they have the price drop thing going, oh, the price drops, urgency. Yeah. Okay, all this kind of stuff, missing out, blah, blah, blah. So that's one way of selling and then people buy the product. Yes. If they don't use the product, that's on them. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move it across. Face-to-face sales. You ever bought a car before? Yeah. What tools do the car salesman use? Oh, yeah. All, all the all urgency, those tactics. the frequency, Estate the agents, All of those tactics. Correct. All salespeople are using those tactics to persuade people to make a decision. They are. Okay. Uh, either in my business, I have a rule of 21. Okay. Seven say yes, seven say no, and seven say maybe. Yeah. All right. And so if, as long as you've got a rule of 21 in place, you're going to be fine as long as you've got 21 prospects. But everybody will use whatever tools that exist out there from all of the sales training books, which I wrote one and loads of people have written them, okay, to learn the skills that need to be deployed to get people to buy the products or service they're offering. Correct. So what's different about the courses online? There's two things that are different. Well, there's one thing that's different. But first of all, just because something's always been done doesn't make it right or ethical. So I have a lot of people going, well, it's okay online to use these tactics. Let's talk about like sales objections. You know about sales. You know, somebody doesn't want to put it on their credit card, make them feel bad about that. That's a sales objection that I've been taught by somebody else. Someone wants to speak to their husband about it, tell them they're never going to be in business if they do that. Sales objections, get rid of it, make sure they pay. That's always been done online and offline. That doesn't make it right. We know better. We shouldn't be doing it. There are other ways to sell. But I think the biggest difference of online and all those different ways that you talked about is that we're personal brands. People buy into us because they trust us. They watch us online. They've seen us talk for years. And so they trust us. They believe that we are doing the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. If we're then not, after years of, of marketing to them, of helping them, of getting them to know, like, and trust us, which we're always taught to do, if we then use that, 
to trauma market people, then there's a difference there. And we shouldn't feel good about that, especially when there's proof everywhere that you don't have to use all of these marketing manipulation techniques to actually sell. You just said to me, you're the number one person that does what you do. I've never used any of those techniques in my business and never will. And I'm making more than the ones who are. So you don't have to do it that way. So if you can sleep at night and have a business, why not choose that way? But you use the takeaway clothes. Use the what? You use the takeaway clothes. What's the takeaway clothes? Take something away from somebody. If you can't afford it, you can't have it, all right? If you can't afford it right now, you can't have it. No, what does we that, don't what do is, that. What does that make people do? What does it make people do? Do it more. The takeaway clothes is like, let's say you get dumped by your boyfriend. All right, okay. out of the blue, nice relationship, and he dumps you. I'm done. You don't sit there on the sofa and go, "Hey ho, that was a good experience." Oh, you want it more? Okay, oh, you I see want what it more? Yeah. Okay. okay, so then it's about intention. So, if somebody's using that, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's another thing I'm going to add to my list of manipulative <laughs> tactics. If someone's using not, that, as, you use that in your relationship. Everybody does. But the intention is. Do you sometimes bad. give Sam the cold shoulder? Yeah. Okay. Well, what does that make him want you more or less? Oh. Maybe, maybe a bad example. Sam, <laughs> 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 mm. I hope you're watching this. Um, but what is it? it, it typically, if, in a relationship, the woman gives the husband the cold shoulder. What yeah. does he want? He wants it more. Whatever that may be, yes. but he wants, yeah? Okay. But if we're talking about this in a relationship where somebody is going to be giving money, there has to be more ethics involved. Okay, so let's say they give the money, okay, under these ethics that you disagree with, yeah. okay, and then it's not right for them. Yeah. Should we give them a refund? Yes. Okay. Because you've used every manipulation technique in the book to Let's talk about one thing that you just said, which is the prices going up thing on QVC. Mm. So in the 80s in the UK, there was something called ghost offers. I remember my dad going to one where you'd go to a market and at this market, they'd open a box and they'd go, for five pounds, you're going to get everything in this box. And they'd say, let's do the first one. And one person would put their hand up and it was a plant. And they would give the box and it would have like 200 pounds worth of stuff in it. And they'd say, we can't guarantee it'll be exactly the same, but it's likely to be similar. Who wants the next one? Everyone puts their hands up because they think they're going to get all this for five pounds. They go over and obviously what's in it's worth 50p. And it's tough because they were told. So... That was called a ghost offer. It was banned in the 80s for manipulation tactics mm -hmm. at the same time as pyramid selling was. Now, both pyramid selling and those ghost offers have finally made their way to the online manipulation, usually in the spiritual coaching world, <laughs> which I have to say, and are now being used. So what people are doing online is going, right, I'm going to give you a course. I'm not going to tell you what it is, so you don't know if you need it or not, but I'm going to give it you for one, 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 because obviously you have to have some form of angel number if you're a spiritual coach. And if you don't buy it for 1111, tomorrow it'll be 2222. The next day it'll be 3333. And the manipulation of that is getting hundreds of people to buy in case they're going to miss out on something that's amazing, but they don't even know if they need it. They don't know if they want it. They can't have a refund afterwards if it's something completely useless. It's been banned 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And yet we're now seeing these things unregulated in the online marketplace because it's relatively new, the online but marketplace. That, at the end of the day, what we're doing in this example, or these examples is we're basically taking the, the, the public out to be mugs. And some are. But that's not on me. Yeah, it is. Because, well, it isn't if you don't believe in ethics. And 
Hector. The nightclub's started. Is that what it is? I could hear it's a little studio puppet. next door. Can you not hear it on the headphones? Okay, great. Yeah, please send him a text. It's, it's, uh, the bass is a bit more than before. It hasn't come through. Yeah, when I first heard it, I thought it was someone going upstairs. <laughs> and I was like... Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, ethics. If you believe in ethics, this matters. Now, you might not believe in ethics, so it might not matter. I was born in ethics. <laughs> you know the chapter of my book was called The Only Way is Ethics <laughs> when I talked about this. Um, but I believe more and more people do care. And because the industry has now been around a while, People aren't the mugs that they used to be. Do you think that when Mike Winnick came out and started, you know, attacking it, do you think that that helped? Yeah, I think it did. And I think the problem is, as a man, he can attack it. As men, they can attack it. And they can talk about bro marketing and they can talk about all the bad. The second I do that, <laughs> I'm a bad person because of this perceived sisterhood that is out there where women should only lift women up but it is in the main women that are now bro marketing and so I you know if I talk about it I'm a bad person if I don't talk about it then there are new people coming online that have no idea that they're being sold to in a manipulative way because they don't know that you can use NLP and hypnosis online to sell to somebody but I know because people have taught me how to do it. And so I know it exists and I know that people are buying and not really knowing why they're buying. They just felt a bit like they should. But then afterwards, they're like, why did I even buy that? It's because all these methods are being used. Talk to me about women in business and this whole kind of like girl power movement. I find it really tiring. Yeah, Dan Danielle, my, <laughs> my business partner, will not will not go to a female empowerment businesswoman event in any way, shape or form. She's She doesn't buy into this philosophy that it should be male or female. It just should be what it is. But in the in the in the world that you're you're from, a lot of your clients are, are, are and I'm going to I'm going to stereotypically say something here. And if I offend anyone, I don't care anyway. But there are a lot of housewives that want to try and create an income. The kids have gone to school. They've got an extra four or five hours a day, much like a lot of the women that went into network marketing and stuff like that. Would that be fair as a segment of some of your clients? Some of them, yeah. What's, what's all this thing about with these women that, 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 that want to have this kind of like get together and create a sisterhood thing? What, what, what's the oppression that they're suffering? A belonging. It's belonging. So but that's people... not oppression they're suffering from men. They, they feel like they're... I feel, I think that they've always felt, let's say they're in corporate, like I was before. You don't feel like you're competing on a, a level playing field when you're in corporate. I worked in an investment bank. You can imagine it's very male dominated and I never really felt like I was on the same scale as other men who were doing the same thing. And I think lots of women that come to me to start businesses have either felt like that or they've gone on to maternity leave and when they go back, they're treated completely differently or they're even older than that. They're going through the menopause and it's a really hard thing to go through when you're at work having to compete with men for the same jobs. And so they've realised that actually they can do it themselves. Now, I like that part of it. The bit I don't like is the boss babe culture. 
the explain what that is it's the kind of notion that if you want to be in business as a woman you first of all have to put the word mum on the front of everything mumpreneur mum babe <laughs> mum boss all of these kind of things and you have to somehow make everything pink and any inspirational quote that you have or, or um um tiffany blue or tiffany blue <laughs> and any inspirational quote has to have a pair of high heels in it or somehow dampen down the fact that a woman can be in business and not have to feel like they're just really doing it for a bit of a laugh. Like, we can be as serious as men in business. We don't have to be, but we can be. We can be anything we want to be. And yet there's a whole group of people making us look like idiots because... We're mumpreneurs. We're not. We're, we're, can you imagine someone ever going, oh, you're a dadpreneur? <laughs> like, can you imagine? Or like, you know, you're a boss man. It's just not a thing. It's not seen as, as the same way. And we talk about how we want equality and we want to be seen the same and as capable as men and as professional as men. And we also want to be ourselves and, you know, show... Maybe if we're doing a live that we've got kids behind us and that's okay. But that doesn't mean we have to dampen down to a level that's almost a cartoon of who we are as women. And I think that a lot of women want to belong to something. And so they group together because they think that well, they feel safer in, in groups of women being able to talk about business. Um, I had a, a, a real interesting time. My membership was for women only for the first year. And then several times I wanted to make it men and women. We can learn a lot from each other in different ways. And so I asked the members, you know, I'm really thinking that this needs to be a space where we all learn from each other. And overwhelmingly, the percentage was always, if you bring men in here, we will leave. And I tried to find out why. And I think that the biggest kind of concern was that men would be more salesy, which actually I found not to be true in general online, and that they would feel patronised if they were debating something with a man. That's not on the men. That's on the women calling us boss babes and mumpreneurs making them feel that way because they then don't feel as aligned to having a business as they could do. Um, and so I made it men and women anyway and got three men in. Because Did many women leave? We had a few leavers, not as many as I thought. But what was more interesting is men didn't want to come in because it was too primarily women. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't work anyway, um, because even men seem to want to separate themselves into, oh, well, I'm in a mastermind that is more men. They don't want to be in spaces that are the majority of women. So Taylor, my daughter, who you know, she went on a property course. She's been on two property courses now, how to, how to build a property portfolio course. And she's the only girl that's been on the course each time. And, and, she goes, and all of the men... Well, your age, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> really old. <laughs> like ancient. <laughs> His name was Bob. <laughs> Practically dead and going on saga cruises <laughs> next year. <laughs> and he wore a tartan shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and so how how do you how do you then stop this this journey that women seem to want to get on all the time? Because I find it I find it hilarious. Um 
And I find it doesn't do anything to help them. It's almost like we we need opportunities. We need to fight for equality. We need, you know, uh, all of these benefits and we don't get them now. We've been oppressed for so long and it's so bad that you men have oppressed us. And we're like, the worst contract that exists on the planet is called a what? Marriage contract. A marriage contract. That's the worst one. For who? Depends. Well, in 99% right, of cases, men, but... for men. Now, of course, there are the odd example, yeah. okay? But in the main, it's the worst contract a man could possibly sign. There's nothing that protects him, nothing that helps him. And I don't mean just financially. I mean, with custody of his own children and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I know that your relationship with your ex-husband has been different, but there are my children use as weapons against me and all that kind of As stuff was over my, the years. my husband's children. Okay. So you, you understand all of that. So we sign this contract. It's a lousy contract. It's one-sided from an emotional, psychological, parenting, custodial point of view. It's one-sided from a financial point of view. Um, and... That's the first big contract in our lives we yeah. sign. So we basically sign away our hard work. So, so who's the fool here? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so based upon that, I, ad I, I advise all men not to sign contracts relating to marriage. <laughs> like, they're, they're, look, it's a piece of paper. You don't need that. Love's, love's all you need. You know? <laughs> Love is all you need. But I look at women and I'm like, I'm, I had a mum that when my parents divorced when I was seven, had two jobs, okay? And I used to, when I was seven years old, imagine this today, when I was seven, I would walk home from school until my mum drove past to pick me up. Now, school finished, I think back in those days at like 3.30. I would walk until 4.30 when my mum drove past at seven years old, okay, to go home from school because my mum was working, trying to pay the bills and do what she had to do. And I don't need any violins out there, but that was my life. But she was strong mm. and she was brilliant and she was powerful. And she would say, you can get men to do whatever you want them to do. You know, <laughs> my mum was quite attractive as a young, she's very attractive now, that's wrong. My mum, but she'd say, you can get men to do it. I was in the rugby team, the first rugby team in the school because Mr. McManus, my school teacher, my sports teacher, fancied the pants off my mum. But anyway, my mum was strong and powerful. So I was surrounded by that. When I look at people that inspire me, I look at my mum and I'm like, wow, you know, you did, you know, so well. Then I look at other women in business, okay? I admire you and what you've done. Like, genuinely, I do. I know we're friends, but I really admire you and I respect what you've done. I look at Danielle and Hannah and the other people that run my businesses and I'm like, yeah, you, know, you went out there, you grinded, you know, you hustled and you made it happen. But never has that been under the auspices of girl power. No, it won't be. And I think there's something in the fact that the girl power movement is mainly connected to the law of attraction, the spirituality movement, that side of business. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. And the problem with that is I think that, you know, it doesn't matter what I think about spirituality. There are plenty of people out there who are into that and who it helps. And so therefore it's a good thing. I have clients who are amazing at this. But I think that some of the spirituality coaches themselves don't even believe in themselves. And so... What, they don't believe in crystals? <laughs> they don't believe... They don't believe? But if they don't believe in it, really, deep down, and they don't believe in the power... They don't believe in the book, The Secret? 
Well, yeah. No, don't tell me that. Yeah, I'm afraid there are some that don't. Wow. I know. <laughs> and so if they don't believe in it, then of course they're going to look for something that makes it less serious. And I think that's what boss babe culture is. I think that's what it ends up looking like. And so they don't feel like they have to be as professional. You know, you don't see many of those kind of businesses with KPIs, with tangible outcomes, with proven results, with percentages next to them. And I think that's a problem. I do. There are some more spiritual coaches coming up now that are becoming a lot more business savvy you know they have actual strategies for their business and I'm helping some of them and and I can see tangible results whatever that looks like for somebody that is in a spiritual business and so it is going the right way for some of them but I think that unless we wake up in this industry and start stop making ourselves look like fools just because we're women in business stop using manipulation tactics that then make everybody else not trust us. I mean, how many Netflix shows are there out there at the moment about coaches in the UK that are... Are there? Yeah. Did you not watch A Great British Cult? No. Amazing show. So A Great British Cult followed... Cult. Cult, cult. I can never say it right. (laughs) C-U-L-T. Followed... um, Cult. A coaching company. Cult, cult. Followed a coaching company. Yeah, in the UK, who was based on spirituality tore them to shreds this netflix documentary because there was nothing behind it it was all fluff and and nonsense and the problem is more and more people are now thinking of the online coaching industry education industry as that because for every single person that gets found out for basically just being a manipulative sham it affects every single other person who's working in the online industry because they have to work harder to be trusted Okay, tell me the solution that you created for that because I believe that we were speaking earlier, you said you've come up with something that's going to solve this problem and people don't have to be affected by this anymore. It won't solve it completely. But what I think, until regulation happens, which is far, far away and doesn't even completely solve the problem, what we're doing is bringing out a suite of careers, if you like, for online businesses. So when people come into the online world, whether they're a graduate or whether they are that 50-year-old woman, and they want a, a business online, a proper career online. Maybe they want to be a copywriter or they want to be a social media manager or a launch strategist. Then they can come and get CPD accredited So with one of our programs so that they know that the thing that they are learning is up to a certain standard because you can't get CPD accredited. It takes me back and forth ages to get that accreditation done so that it's to a standard so that they know that they're, not only are they, you know, properly going into business in the right frame of mind as this is a career for me, I'm going to grow this business and I want to get accredited in it and do it properly, but also other people who want to hire one of those people will know that they're accredited and it's not just someone basically writing a certificate in their bedroom, which is what most certifications are in our industry. You know, it means nothing. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's basically like me saying, I'm going to accredit you now if you pay me 50 grand to be a strategist. So by essentially they're going through a formalized structured route to learning. Exactly. Like Like a college course or open open university. university, Something like that. So then, so then when they take that qualification, they can rightfully say, I passed this. I got through this. They have to take an exam. I earned this. Yeah. Okay, good. And I think that will make a big difference. Okay. Talk to us about something else. 
I remember when I first met you, okay, and you you said to me, I can't remember the exact words, but words along the lines of, I want to have what you've got one day. Mm, something yeah. like that. And maybe you were, you know, you saw the fancy houses or whatever it was. Um, you've gone on to achieve great things, okay? And the success that you've had, do you measure it in money? Does that is that your measurement of success? Or is that what everyone else measures? It was. Okay. The measurement of success for a long time, for probably four years. So how much money did you generate as a business over that four or five year period? Fifteen million dollars. Fifteen million dollars. And the net profit out of that, we don't even need to talk about actually, but you generate a, a substantial amount of revenue for your business. Yeah, and the profit's always been really good just because it's a learning company, so we don't have overheads. Okay. Now, you were in a very beautiful Gucci dress. Thank you very much. Very glamorous today. I'm sure one that my wife will <laughs> equally enjoy when, she's, when she saw it. T tell me what it feels like to have money now. It's a really tricky one. There are parts of it that feel good. I'm able to do some amazing, amazing things. It doesn't feel how I thought it would feel. Okay. So you to do some amazing things, you mean experiences? Yeah, I can treat my family to go on a, a, a yacht every year and my friends around Greece. Like, I can do amazing things and have amazing experiences. Okay. Is that, is that good? That's a great That's thing. good. But I've seen various times I see you jumping on private jets. Do that as well. I know that you've moved into a, a, a new, much bigger house and built a much bigger pub, or Sam's built a much bigger pub in the <laughs> yeah. house. We were talking about it the other day, somebody. One rule in life, you should always have a pub in the house. Um, and so you've gone on to, the, to the, essentially the trappings of more success. Yeah. Your kids like the house? Yeah. The kids like the boat trips? They like butlings more, but yeah. I like butlings more. A kid doesn't see what we see. Does Sam like the Sam like the boat trips and the private jets yeah. more? Okay, so there is some some upside. Absolutely. Okay. Massive upside. Okay. So how much money do you need to be happy? I don't need any to be happy. But that's been my biggest learning over the past year and a half. What makes you happy? Small things, tiny, simple things that are nothing to do with how much money. <laughs> Sometimes <it's... laughs> I feel like you, you just dropped me into that. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that out. I'll, I'll ask the question again. <laughs> or maybe we'll leave it in. Let's ask the question again. What, what, <laughs> what makes you happy? Small things, simple things, sitting on a beach, feeling the sun on my face, laughing with the boys, going to the cinema. Things that I thought when I had them weren't enough. I thought that I would be happier if I made money. A, because I would, in my head, never worry about anything because I thought all my problems were connected to poverty because I grew up in poverty. And so I thought if I had money, that would stop it. But then when I started getting money, you start to live your life up to the money that you make. And I think everyone does that. And then realized I wanted more. And because of the people around me who were also business people making money, I was looking up to certain people going, well, they've got more than me. They're doing other things like that who? I can't do. Other people in the online industry who are on the path that I supposedly should take. And we're taught. Like who? 
can give you any name. Why not? Because of what I'm going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I was following a path and I thought it was mine. I thought it was what I thought success was and then realised in one instance that it wasn't. So if you, if you look at the online industry, success for a female entrepreneur at least is make six figures, then make seven figures, then make multi-seven figures, then get a Sunday Times bestseller or at least an Amazon bestseller, get a number one rated podcast, get invited to Necker Island, hang around with certain people in the industry that are known as the titans of the industry and that's successful and then just continue on. I was on that route. I'd done nearly all the things. I'd been invited to NECA. I was supposed to be going and I was like, this is great. Like, I've done all the things. Something still didn't feel right in me. I didn't really feel, depending on what you class happiness as, I didn't feel joy on a daily basis or even on a weekly basis. I felt like I had stuff. I felt admired by people who wanted to be me, um, by my peers who were saying I was now successful and was asking for my help. But I was looking up at the next levels of success that I was supposed to be going to, at the people who were already there. And it dawned on me that I wasn't seeing happiness there. The people who were making more than me, who were the people I was supposed to follow in the footsteps of, they weren't happy for lots of different reasons. Some had put their businesses before their family, and so they had no family. Some were ill all the time because of the stresses of having to get to the next level and the next level because everybody's constantly watching you when you have an online business to see what happens to you next, and God forbid that you might fail in some way. And I realised that, I didn't want to be there. And when I realized it, I was actually on a trip with all of my, I call them real friends, friends that were there before I became this in my life. It's very difficult having friends at this point in my life because I have no idea what people want from me a lot of the time. A lot of it, the time they want my audience. So they become friends with me so that they can get something from me, be highlighted by me on Instagram or wherever. And so I'm very, very appreciative of the friends I had when I was £35,000 in debt six years ago. And so I was away with them. And one of them was talking about how in two weeks' time, you're going to be at NECA. And they were laughing at how much it cost. It was 70000 for me and Sam to go, even though I was invited as part of a mastermind. And they were talking, all my other friends, about how, well, they were going to be down the local Chinese for one of their birthdays in the place we came from. You know, the place that I saw was so bad, this council, you know, council estate, this town that I grew up in, um, I'd always seen as wanting to get away from. And then as soon as he said, yeah, well, you're in Necker Island, we're all going to be here having a Chinese, like laughing. It, just like in a second, I realised I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be around all of these people that actually were successful financially and maybe in gravitas, but depending on what your definition of success is, to me, success is happiness. And they weren't happy and I wasn't happy being around them. And I would, was really happy with these other people, the other side, who were just laughing and were going to a Chinese restaurant, which we could do any day of the week. And so I didn't go and I went to the Chinese restaurant and I was so happy. And from that 
kind of second, I knew that I had to get off the train. It felt like I was on a hamster wheel. Like I was, I came out of corporate to not be on a hamster wheel and put myself straight back on one. It was a, a, a better one. It gave me a lot of nice things, this hamster wheel. And so I continued on it because that's what everyone did. But I realized I was following everyone else in this industry's version of success. And that wasn't my version of success. And so I stopped. And how does it feel since? Amazing. Because whereas I would panic before if I wasn't seen with the right people, if I didn't get invited to the mastermind with the other multi-seven figure to eight figure people because they didn't like me or I was too much, too extra, I'd worry about what people thought of me. So why do you come and spend time with me? You're a bit different. <laughs> I wouldn't put you in these classes. <laughs> Well, okay, well then what, what, in real terms, what makes me different to them? You don't care what people think of you. And I think that all of those people and me cared of getting cancelled, cared that one day it would all disappear, cared that people wouldn't like us and then people wouldn't buy from us. All of the things that when you get something, if it can disappear, that's terrifying, right? That's the biggest thing if you get to a certain level. Only when I realised that if I lost everything, I would be as happy as I am now, could I not care anymore? Um, what any of those people thought of me. And they didn't think very much of me, I don't think, when I decided I wasn't playing the game anymore because it made them look bad. In their eyes, do you think it made them look bad in their, their own eyes or do they think that you were just... I think a lot of them know that they're doing very manipulative things to get the money they're making. Okay, let's go on to something you just raised things. That's quite interesting. So people want to be your friend because they might want access to your audience or might want access to your following and stuff like that, yeah? Um, um, want to promote themselves within your community. That tells me something. That you're spending time with the wrong people. Now, you've got the people that go to the council house, uh, or go to the Chinese on the council estate. I know people like that too. Lots of, lots of my sort of the earth friends are that, are that way inclined. I also have very successful friends. So do I. I. I am with that group of people by a long way the poorest man in the room. Yeah. I mean by a long way the poorest man in the room. And I think you roughly know what I'm, I'm worth. And so these people are on another level. Those people, they, some of them came from the council estate. Yeah. Um, in fact, most, yeah, they're self-made people. They will still have the Chinese, but they'll still have the fancy meal. The they'll still thing. drink the, the cheap wine, but they prefer the most expensive wine or whatever the wine is that they like. But they just want to have fun. And they don't need anything from you. No, they want nothing from me. I know. Nothing, apart from my time. Yeah. They want my company. And so they make special efforts to include me, invite me, um, partake with me on stuff. Anything from a game of blooming paddle tennis, okay, which we play in abundance in Dubai, uh, up to the fancy fine dining restaurants or the parties or the holidays in Courcheval and all that kind of stuff. What I learned, though, was really highlighted to me the other day when I interviewed a guy called Scott Harrison. And Scott Harrison invented a uh, created a charity called Charity Water. Ever heard of him? I have, yeah. Okay, so do you know the story? Do you want to know? I haven't. Okay, so just quickly the story, okay? He was, a, he was a club promoter, Champagne Charlie, cocaine, living the dream, yeah? Just found himself empty one day, went to try and volunteer. 
Nobody would let him volunteer because he was a nightclub promoter. He had to pay to be a volunteer on a medical ship in Liberia. Mm. Spent two years as a volunteer on the medical ship in Liberia. And all these people had these illnesses, but they could only operate on so many people. He learned that one of the biggest problems is that people were drinking dirty water. And a lot of illnesses could be saved if people just drank clear water. So he went back and he set up a charity called Charity Water. Did some research and found out that 42% of Americans don't trust charities. So he made a big marketing play around, we give 100% of the money, okay, to the, the, the uses it needs to be given to. He then arranges a rave party, sells tickets at $20 each, gets 700 people to go, takes the money, puts three wells in Liberia. Those wells then provide clean water, puts cameras and geotags on them so everyone knows where they are and can see what's going on. So everyone that paid the $20 is able to see, yeah? So they feel like they're participating. They like that. He has raised $750 million for that organization over the years. And I went, that's amazing. I mean, you've got to be so proud of yourself and what you've done. You changed your lifestyle. You know, everything changed and you did this and it's so worthy. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he went, no, nah, not really. I'm, I, I messed up. I failed. And your, your face was my face. Why did he uh, think he'd failed? He said, because I should have raised two billion. <laughs> and when he said that, that just took me into that place where sometimes you have to be around people that think so much bigger than you to take you to the next stage in your journey. Yeah. Because the thinking sometimes is just, we don't think it's small because in the peer group that we're in, okay, you're at the top or near the top. And so you're not thinking that there's another level because you're at that other level. Yeah. And so in, it's, it's, uh, in that whole personal development space, I suppose you, you, who's at your top of your tree, the Tony Robbins of the world, they're, they're probably at the top of the tree. What are, they, what are they doing differently? Okay. And if you spent one, week, uh, one day a week with Tony and whoever is in that top echelon, and I don't know who those people are anymore, but would that take you into a space? What if you know who those people are at the top? And we can only talk at the top when it comes to money in this situation. And you see those people, but you don't want to be them. You don't want to be like them. Okay, that's different. That's different. The people that... Scott Harrison with Charity Water. I've not got a charity. Okay? He's doing something completely worthy, completely selfish. Selfless, yeah? Yeah. I just went, I'm thinking too small. Yeah. In that moment, I'm thinking too small. Then I see my, my friends and... They're billionaires. Hmm. Now, they're just like me and you. They're just like us. But they just think bigger. Yeah. You know, why not, Taylor's learning about property and one of them's a big property successful guy. And, 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 and Taylor is, a, uh, basically he's got kids and his kids aren't really interested in real estate. Yeah, Taylor really is. And so they've powered up. My mate and, um, and Taylor have powered up and she has private chats with him and Zooms with him and whatnot. And he advises her. And then he contacts me and said, yeah, oh, guys, I love it. I love that she's into it. It's like, it's really great. Now, his daughter's into what I'm into. Yeah, so this, <laughs> so I, 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 we've kind of almost swapped daughters. But it's like, yeah, you know what? Well, if she gets good at this, maybe maybe we can set a business up and blah, 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 blah. And we'll put in a... And he threw a number out there, which I'm not going to say, which crazy. is just like, I went, what? <laughs> I'm not putting that kind of money in. But for him, it was just, it, it was almost nothing. a spare change. For me, it was like, my daughter's business. No, that's different. But when you've got people that in other parts of your environment, they don't have to be doing what you do, are just thinking so much bigger. 
yeah. it makes it makes me think about what the possibilities are. And I like that. And I want to think bigger, but I don't want to be focused on thinking bigger only financially anymore. Well, again, I don't believe the word financially should come into it. I think yeah. it should be impact. Yeah. Okay, Scott Harrison, impact. You know, we, we work with the organisations and the girls that you know. It's like where these guys come out, and, and I was trying to I was trying to solve the problem. You know, I'm like, you know, Maria. Yeah. I'm like, how do I solve this problem? I literally, how do I solve it? And we had these guys come out, and and, and we went out for lunch with the kids, and these two men, these two 55, 60 year old men, sobbed openly for an hour, three. They couldn't stop crying as the girls told this story, and they're just streaming down their face. And Maria's like, yeah, I'm going to K2. I need to, I need to raise $50,000 so I can go to K2. And he just went, it's done. I'll send you the money. And then, you know, then he starts asking questions. How much does it cost to run this every month? Da, 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 da. What the expenses? And she goes, it's this, this, this. We've, we've, got, we've got this covered, but the rest isn't covered. And he said, it's done. It's covered. Not even, didn't even think about it. Yeah. And it's just like, what, I'm like, why are you doing it? They're like, how do you not? Yeah. How do you not? And and how is how is anything, how, how, you know, how is anything worth more? And you know? the more money you make, the more impact you can make on all sorts of things. I I have got a ten year old Range Rover. People people in Dubai think this is my wife thinks it's hilarious. I remember you okay. showing me it and thinking, and it, where's his sports car? And it's like I've got my car. It's ten years old. And Anna's like, get please get another <laughs> car, get a new car, please. And I'm like, why? She's like, car's 10 years old. You've, I've never owned a 10-year-old car in my life. Like, I've never owned a two-year-old car in my life. And she's like, please get a new car. But every time I go to put the money down to buy a new car, I walk into the DC, have a look, and it's the, the, the replacement for my car, I think it's about $200,000. All I do is I go, oh, I could use that for so much better stuff. And I, that money, those kids in their pool, the kids in Bangladesh, that money, what could that build? What could that do? Yeah. And it's like, it's not even significant to me, the car. A younger man, I want the new car. Yeah. All right, I want the new car because you know what? It inspires me. It motivates me. It makes me feel good. It almost, unins- I find it uninspiring to have those things. So maybe I've gone past that point in my life where it's just like, no, you this, know why? this is the famous one, the watch, yeah? Yeah. So I've got all the fancy watches that I haven't worn for years. And I've got this watch, which is still very fancy. It's a 200-pound watch from my daughter, my Garmin watch. My daughter's bought it for me, okay, two or three years ago. Yeah. I wear it everywhere. We were in a black tie do the other night and had it on. She's like, why are you wearing that? Yeah, because it's more important to you. And I'm like, it's, it's a black watch. It goes with a black tie. So this ring here. Yeah. This engagement ring. So when we got married, we were both like in so much debt. We were both so poor. We didn't know how we were going to find rent. This wasn't long ago. <laughs> you know, we haven't even. We, we were married eight years yesterday, and he bought me this ring, which I know cost probably less than a hundred pounds because that's all he would have had at the time. And the amount of people that say to me now, "Why don't you buy yourself like a five hundred grand?" ring Whatever it is. and it'll be amazing and it'll be a diamond and everyone will look at it it'll be really flashy because you can now I will never change this ring because so much of life isn't about the money and this reminds me of that it was nothing to do with the money he knew me before I know in complete trust that he is around me for the right reasons because it was really hard for us to be together then and so why would I ever change that but people the value that people put on things is so wasted. Of course, it's lovely to have nice things, but you will get to a point 
where it doesn't matter anymore. You know why? Because you're closer to death. <laughs> if we're honest about it. You're closer to death. I'm much older than you. You're much closer to death than me. <laughs> but that's why you don't care anymore. Because you might be in a minute. <laughs> what does any of it mean? Like the only thing that we can change. I've been talking a lot about this. My friend Paulie died um, in January. And he was my best friend. And it made me realise that actually the only thing we can do on this earth, the only thing that's going to leave any kind of change, people talk about legacies in, in the space of money. It's nothing to do with that. The only thing we can do is live a life where other people are affected and have better lives because of the life you're living. That's it. Nothing else actually it's matters. It's really interesting. And in my last podcast today, I interviewed Ash Dykes. Okay, he's 32 years old. He, he walked across Mongolia single-handedly, walked through Madagascar single-handedly, did the Yangtze River. He's got all these Guinness World Records, television shows made after him. <coughs> Beautiful human being, yeah? And I'm like, that date you were born and that date you were dead, in between those two dates on your gravestones, a hyphen. Let me tell you something about what you've done. People will talk about this for eternity because you're the first person ever to do it. We talk about Sir Edmund Hillary for climbing Everest. We talk about Sir Ranulph Fiennes. You will be talked about forever. And to me, doing what you do, don't ever forget those stories that you create and how you're going to inspire young kids that are going to think they were you once to yeah. go out there and explore the world. And so I really believe it's like, what, what, what do people remember you for? A load of people can show up to you at your funeral. Yeah. A load of people can come out of duty and responsibility. But how long do you stay in their memories for? And it doesn't need to be that the world remembers you. The world will remember him because he's done amazing things. But you could do something really small every month for somebody that changes their life in some way or makes their life better. And that's all. So aligned on this. This is what I say. M nearly all of the world's problems will be solved if everybody found one person to be kind to. Yeah. That might be an old lady that's a widow that hasn't got any family that you have a cup of tea with once a week and let her sit and talk to you and you chew a Murray Mint. Okay. Or it could be the kid that's living, that's homeless, the, the drug addicts and whatever it is, to go and work in a soup kitchen once a week. If everyone went and it, and it was law. Yeah, you had to do You had one to, thing. by law, once a week, you had to give up two hours or half a day a month where your job for that half a day a month was to be kind, mm. all right? Working in a soup kitchen, helping somebody out, all that kind of stuff. That would solve all of the world's problems. No, I agree. I'm doing a project at the moment called A Life Well Lived where every month I have to do at least two things, sometimes three, that change something for somebody not all of it is going to be about money. Some of it will be. Some of it will be just small, tiny changes that will change someone's life. Because I want to see, if I do that for a year, how I feel. And if I can do that for a year, maybe write a book on it or a podcast and inspire some other people to just do that every month for a year, I think we can make big changes with tiny things. And that's all I can do is, is make these changes that are small right now and hopefully influence other people to do that. But that excites me a load more than adding another zero. Well, that tells me you got to the point. Maybe. I think I've Maybe. got some way to go. I'm still buying flashy watches. <laughs> oh, is that you got an expensive watch? Oh, you let yourself. All right. Podcast I'm is ruined it. it. You're going to edit that out. <laughs> Does that count? No. <laughs> oh.
Because <laughs> they're still expensive. What is it? A Rolex? Yeah. You bought an expensive. <laughs> you got a Rolex. You sit in it. What shoes have you got? Because you love shoes. What, what make of shoes not you got? I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying. <laughs> I have got some Primark clothes. Does that count? <laughs> I have got some Primark clothes. It's good. Always good talking to you. You too. Thank you for coming in and making the effort. I know that I was kind of on the way to your very important PR event that you're attending later on. I yeah, it's on route. You're just you're just such an important person. Your face, you you're just like practically a VIP now. You everywhere. <laughs> the, the funny thing about being a VIP in Dubai, when you go to the, the to the theatre or to these events and whatnot, so you've got the normal seats, then you've got VIP, yeah, and you're like, I've got VIP tickets tonight, eh, eh. But in front of the VIP is the VVIP. And in front of the VVIP is the VVVIP. So if you've got VIP, you're still third class. You're still feeling a bit crap. (laughs) You don't know until you get there and you're like, Oh, I'm wounded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all this. All the way up until the event. Because you're telling all your friends and family, oh no, I've got VIP tickets to go and see that concert. <laughs> you're still all the way back there. Yeah, oh, no dear. one. Thank you for coming on the show, hun. Thanks for inviting me. 